Welcome to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian, joined by Paul. We are your lovely hosts for this wonderful extravaganza of culture and theology and C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity and fun and humor and help me out, Paul. Wow, that's a long list. I thought you were going to say cult when you were saying culture. Welcome to our (laughs) cult. Uh, But in all seriousness, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be serious at all about this because people pay us the big bucks to be their entertainment. You know, so maybe you're on the road, you're on a road trip. Maybe you're driving to work. Maybe you're on a nice jog. Maybe you're doing the dishes, something else, whatever. And uh, we're here to just be your friends. Really. That was really special, Brian. Oh, did you really think so? Yeah. Yeah. It sounded kind of sweet. Well, that's the kind of guy I am. What, but uh, we're, we're doing a series on C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Excellent book. Suggest you buy it. It's a must read for all Christians everywhere. And uh, we've been taking it, taking a leisurely stroll I was just going to say, it. we've been taking a while. Yeah, but uh, there's so much stuff. It's so dense. Again, we talked about this last time, but it's like, man, you read this book years ago and you you come back to it, there's something new to learn. You're like, this is so deep. And we're not yeah. in a rush. We're we got nothing else to do. What are, what are, what are we going to do, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Socialize <laughs> with other people? No, no. We're going to read C.S. Lewis. making us look so bad. I know. But uh, our viewers expect this out of us. Our listeners expect this out of us. Probably. I don't think Probably. so. But, right. uh, you know, one thing people expect from us is uh, a sizzling hot take. Oh, yeah. So if you want to start off with a hot take. With the sizzle. Sizzle it away. All right. Speaking of sizzle, actually, this isn't related to sizzling at all, but <clears throat> it is related to heat. You know how in like in the summer, everybody goes to like public community pools. Public community pools are just vats of like bacteria, sweat, and children's pee, and they're not worth ever, ever, ever entering. Public pools are disgusting. How public are we talking? I mean, like, you know, I got a a pool in my apartment complex. That's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be, I don't know, like, there's kids in there Are you talking about, like, as drinking water or (laughs) diving into it, asking for a friend? (laughs) If you could drink pool water and, like, live to tell about about it, then you deserve... What about the chlorine? Doesn't that that disinfect everything? uh, Yeah. So what's the... I mean, it's perfectly fine water, then. Were you one of those people, like, drinking bleach from the... To get rid of Corona, you just like yes. went and drank a bunch of pool water. And I haven't got it yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> so, wait, but wait, 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 wait. So, what are the chlorine? Doesn't that disinfect everything? I, I mean, I don't know. But you, but that's like, I mean, <laughs> obviously, still, when people idea, invented pools, they were they obviously knew that people okay, were going to pee. So, in them. thought experiment: like a kid pees in a pool, and then the pool attendant tells you, "Hey, I just poured a bunch of chlorine in there." Are you going to jump into that spot that the kid peed in? Yes. Uh, no. 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 What was the right answer? Uh, I'm just saying that the chlorine, that people had to think of that. They're not going to let you bathe around. And- no, I know. I'm, I'm saying I, I totally acknowledge chlorine helps. Right. It's still disgusting. Like even just psychologically. The thought of someone having like... I do remember this kid, spitting, ugh. this kid pooped in the pool at like... <laughs> we used to go to this... Health club, growing up. Called, wow, that's bougie. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess it's a gym. I don't know. It was like, it was a big... The health club. Health club, yeah. And we'd go swimming, and then this kid pooped in the... <laughs> How does that happen? In the pool, and they had to drain the whole thing, scoop it out. <laughs> and like, that well, seems why like could, overkill. Yeah, why why couldn't you just it? take a little net? But then I guess maybe the particles had already dispersed 
get pink this eye. This just proves my point. I don't know. That's disgusting. So imagine how many times that happens while you're not there to witness it. Like you were just there to see the one time. That's true. <laughs> this kid birthed a turd in the pool. Birthed a turd? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I I, uh, I just don't think about it. Like Hold on. Most, what's he, most things. Like, don't they, they make you wear specific like pool shorts to prevent that kind of stuff. So this kid was violating all the rules. What are pool shorts? You, know, you like don't just jump in been... naked? <laughs> you were just Maybe on the roll Maybe that's why I was night. never invited back. <laughs> I was a kid that pooped in the pool. Yeah. I'm just kidding. You know they have like the nets in the short? Like the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, That's supposed to catch like particles from falling out. That's It's a safety supposed precaution. To. Keyword. I mean, they used to actually check us at our community public pool. Like you have oh, to, you have to. Wow, like, that sounds like a lawsuit. Well, you have to like, sh- you have to pull up your shorts and show that there's netting. Otherwise, they wouldn't let you in the water. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul uh, I don't know. Maybe some suppressed memories. All, yeah. even All of this contributes <laughs> to my dislike of public pools. Oh man, Paul, I feel like we're we need to have a counseling session right now. We there was a kid in our public pool who would like we just go every single summer and there was one summer in particular where there was this kid that would always hang out with me and my siblings and we used to call him affectionately hot salami because he smelled like hot oh, salami. I thought you'd be like this never mind. <laughs> never mind. That story could have gone very differently but yeah, no. Public pools gross, disgusting. Okay. Like yeah, that I don't even know if it's that hot of a take. It's just, you know, I, I would never enter one. I can't even remember. Probably like since my childhood. I don't think I've gone into a public pool. I mean, but you would go to like a pri- like a yeah, pool like, in like, someone's backyard? Yeah. I, How do you I, know that they haven't been pooping in there? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm I mean, gonna, one day I'm going to have a pool in my backyard, and I'm going to invite you over. We're going to have a good time, grill out. Please don't. Pool, just don't. And then don't, once you get out, even. I'm going to laugh. And you're going to be like, why are you laughing? I'm going to be like, gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a great prank. Just like buy be. one of those fake yeah. like turd things and just put it at the bottom of someone's pool. Yeah. Well, that's it for our show. Man. Thank you for listening and make sure you. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that would be the end of. Uh, How are we going to pivot from this to Lewis? Simple. We just say we this. Just, <laughs> we just tra- this is our transition. This is our transition. We're going to talk about mere Christianity now. <laughs> so we left off last week uh, talking about sexual morality. Was yeah. that last week? Yeah, that was. Yeah, man. We covered a lot. We covered sexual morality and marriage. Yeah. yeah. So that that was a. A really great chapter, two, two, two chapters. So if you get a chance, make sure you listen to our last show on it. Um, and uh, another thing that Lewis really touches on is, is all of the different vices and virtues mm-hmm. and things associated with the Christian life. And he gets into two of them uh, in these next two chapters. Yeah. Um, so we're in book three, looking at sections seven and eight, wow. where he talks about <clears throat> forgiveness yeah. and pride. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Lewis, obviously, you know, with everything he writes, it's written in a very punchy, kind of memorable way. And uh, for this first vice he talks about... Uh, vice? Forgiveness vice. is a vice? Oh, no, no. What, what would it be? What virtue? Would it be a virtue? I mean, he calls it a Christian virtue. Okay, a Christian yeah. virtue. The Christian virtue of forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, he really starts to unpack, okay, what do we mean by forgiveness? Uh, specifically, as it relates to... You think about the Lord's Prayer or the mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount, where you know, forgive our debts as we've as we have forgiven our debtors, or um, trespasses if or you trespasses, the KJV, right? right. <laughs> uh, or if you don't forgive your brother, your Father in Heaven won't forgive you. Yeah. There's some pretty strong language about the necessity of forgiveness in the Christian life, almost to the point where you're kind of like, is this legalism? Yeah, is this yeah. works righteousness? Something like that. But 
Talk about how does Lewis begin his discussion on forgiveness? What's his kind of uh, yeah. thesis statement <clears throat> here? So he says that so in in the last few so he's, he talks a lot about sexual morality in the Mere Christianity series and. He says, so I started off saying that chastity was the most unpopular Christian virtue. No one wants to be sexually chaste. But actually, he changed his mind and says, actually, it's forgiveness. Because forgiveness relies on this concept of, I have to love my neighbor as myself. That's what Christianity teaches. Uh, and in Christianity, it expands the concept of neighbor to include my enemy. And so Jesus' teaching is, I have to love my enemies as I love myself. And so that includes loving people who I want to hate, loving people who I want to resent and I'm angry at, I want to hold their wrongs against them, stuff that they've done to wrong me. Um, and so forgiveness really is, it's, it's, he calls it like particularly or uniquely Christian because it's not, when, when you look at like the list of the virtues, Everybody can agree that humility, generosity, um, you know, selflessness, those kinds of things are, are virtues. Forgiveness is one of those that, you know, it, it comes up more uniquely and more strongly in Christian circles. Like, so it is a, it's a Christian virtue in that sense. And it is really tough. It's really tough to forgive. Um, but before we get there, maybe we could just talk a little bit about what forgiveness actually is. Right. That'd be a good way to, yeah. to, to start. Because it, 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 it's a word that we use a lot and we throw around a lot. And I remember like just a few years ago thinking like, like what, what does it mean? Like if I'm going to forgive someone right now, what am I doing? What is Like we use these euphemisms like let it go, like those sorts of things. But what, what practically does it mean for me sitting here right now to forgive someone? How do I do that? Give us the answer, Brian. You... Act like nothing happened. That is almost certainly not correct, but good. Attempt. I was kidding. I was. I was. I was just trying to play <laughs> no, along because clearly the answer yeah. is I don't want to ruin it. So you say it. <laughs> I mean, I know. I know it. But uh, I, I don't want to give you a chance to respond before I. It's not even say the right answer. Uh, I mean, there's a few different ways to think about forgiveness, but I think one of the most helpful ways is to remove someone's debt against you. So someone has so someone wrongs you, you have standing or it would be appropriate for you to hold that debt against them. To say, Brian, on our um, on my tab list here, you are negative 400. Well, you, you actually have he, you guys can't a, see this. He actually just pulled out a, a chart <laughs> of ways I've offended him. Amazing. It was, it's really really long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say, Brian, you're negative 400. So you actually are a negative on my sheet. And to forgive is to remove that number and to make the slate clean. And so to forgive someone is an actual act that changes the way you and I relate. So it, where once it was appropriate for me to resent you and to, to say, you owe me this thing, my act of forgiveness there, when I say, Brian, I forgive you, it makes it inappropriate to resent you, and it actually removes the debt. Like metaphysically in the world, on that score chart, it removes the negative balance and brings it up to zero. But does it remove <clears throat> the knowledge that you no. did that? Like, Because, for example, if like they say, That's a good question, forgive yeah. and you forget. Yeah. Well, do you really forget? I mean, how do you forgive while while not sort of erasing that it ever happened? It's it's 
Yeah, it's not easy, and it definitely doesn't involve forgetting because that would be bizarre, and you'd be it a psychopath. It would almost ruin the you, forgiveness. Yeah, I don't think that's that's what we're called to do. So to, but, you you can hate the thing that was done to you and acknowledge it and recognize it as evil, but you're essentially canceling the debt. You're making it such that that person doesn't owe you anymore. So you don't have to stay friends with them forever. You don't have to, you know, be lovey-dovey and, you know, go out for coffee and things right. like that. So it's not a restoration of the relationship and the friendship. Right. But it does mean that the debt that was there, where once you may have had a right to to punch them or to, to be right. angry or to resent them right. or to take money from them, all those sorts of things, forgiveness literally cancels that debt and makes it no longer on, on the sheets, on the score sheets. Okay, right. So it's not a... You're not I mean, acting as though yeah. it wasn't a big deal or right. it didn't really happen the way you said it did. It's an actual saying, I'm no longer going to hold you. I'm no longer going to feel that you owe me anything. If you take my car out for a joy right, right, right now and do donuts and destroy it, I would be very upset. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Yeah, this has never happened before. Right. Brian is a great driver. Right. Uh, if you destroyed my car, you would owe me that like a car. Right. right? That's just the way that... These right. things work. If you destroyed my car, you'd owe me one. If I say, Brian, I forgive you, it makes that owing right. gone. But it, I it, can still be super angry and never yeah. let you borrow my car exactly. again. Exactly, right. That's yeah. the key thing. I, could I be couldn't like, be like, well, I thought you forgive me. And you're like, well, no, I'm not going to trust you again. Yeah. That doesn't come with, that doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean you have but to be But the thing foolish. that was previously owed is no right. longer owed. Right. I've, That's I've, a I've, I've to... absorbed that debt. So, right. so one way to think of it is someone's going to end up paying the debt. Either the person who wrongs or the mm-hmm. person who was wronged. Right. In this case, you owe me a car, but when yeah. I say I forgive you, I pay that debt. Right. That you absorb whatever, it. however much right. my car costs, I have now paid right. it because right. I'm getting a new car or whatever. So, <clears throat> what about when people forgive and they still have feelings of bitterness? Is that a, is that showing a lack of forgiveness on their part? Um, or is that? Yeah, that's. I think you forgive and then you make the you make the commitment to keep treating the person as if they are forgiven. And right. we're, we're not perfect, and so we might slip into that, sure, but you remind sure. but yourself you, that you don't want to s- I have forgiven them, right. so it's inappropriate for me to feel this That's way. That's a good way to put it, where it's a, it's a continual decision to treat them, to really say that debt is gone. And it's, I'm not going to treat you as though you owe me a debt anymore. It's like that marriage analogy that we like to say. On the day of your wedding, you make vows and you are married, but then it's your job day to day to live right, to be married and be married. Right, so right, right. when you forgive someone, it's it's a moment in time. It's a singular act right. that cancels the debt. But then you have to live in that. You right. have to remind yourself and act in accordance with the fact that you've forgiven this person. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's get to Lewis. Yeah. Lewis, you know, and and you you briefly mentioned this, where he makes the observation that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until. Lovely Hmm. idea until they have something to forgive. Hmm. And he says, as we had during the war. So Lewis is writing in the, he gave these original addresses, I think, during World War II. That's right, yeah. He came back and edited it for the actual printed version that we have here Mm -hmm. after World War II. So he lived through a war. He actually fought in World War I, I believe. He did fight in World War I. So when we talk about forgiveness and seeing atrocities and all these things, he understands what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I love he what even he talks says, about forgiving like officers. Right. So he's, yeah, he's lived under that. Well, I love what he says when he's like, I'm not trying to tell you in this book what I could do. I can do precious little. I'm mm. telling you what Christianity is. Yeah. I did not invent it. In other words, he's not saying, look at my great example of forgiveness in life. He's simply saying Christianity is about forgiveness. Forgiveness between man and God and then yeah. man towards fellow man. 
and uh, there's no way you can avoid this reality. Right. Um, he says that people like objected to him and said, well, you can never forgive someone if they did something really, truly horrible to you. And he's like, you're right. I'm not claiming to say what I can do. I'm just claiming to like, this is what Christianity says I have to do. to do. Right. And I, I acknowledge that I'm not a, you know, I'm not great at this, but this is what we're called to do. Well, he, he talks about the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he kind of dives in, well, what does it mean to love myself? And this is kind of an interesting rabbit hole. He goes down because, uh, he, he, he kind of says, uh, you know, my self-love makes me think myself nice, but thinking myself nice is not why I love myself. So loving my enemies does not apparently mean thinking them nice either. So he kind of <laughs> yeah. does process of elimination. Right. What does it mean to love my enemy? Well, okay, what does it mean to love myself? Mm-hmm. What does it not mean to love myself? Yep. Right? So it's not because I'm nice, right? Uh, also, it's not imagining that your enemies are really not such bad fellows after all, when it's quite plain that they are, mm-hmm. right? So it's not saying, oh, they're really not that bad, or the, the offense wasn't as bad, right? That's not forgiveness. Right, right, right. right? And then he gets to the, to the point of uh, thinking about loving the sinner, but hating the sin. And we've heard that- Yeah, you know, many times. Many times mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in Christian circles. Um, but I love the way he handles that because sometimes that can be a trite phrase. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Right? Hate the sinner or hate People the sinner. People are like, that's impossible. Like, it's just, right. you know, they're, they're too close and too intertwined. And he goes, well, it is actually very possible to hate the sin and love the sinner because mm-hmm. I do that for myself. Yeah, we right? all do it. <laughs> I hate my sin, but yeah. I love myself. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he goes, okay, if I can just extrapolate that, however yeah. I treat myself in that respect, when I recognize I hate the sin in yeah. my life, but I still love myself, you know. It shows us that it's possible. It's possible. And yeah. how do I do that to my fellow man? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he starts off saying that when you start doing mathematics, you don't jump into calculus, you do addition. So if there are people in your life that have massively wronged you, you don't start off with those, you start off with the easier things. And so you build up sort of the muscles of forgiveness until you get to that thing. Um, and Lewis acknowledges that it's hard, right? So he's not claiming that this is, uh, you know, easier that everyone's going to have it really, really easy. And, and, and no two cases are going to look the same. But, um, I remember we, we talked about forgiveness when we did the Corey Ten Boom, um, episode and there she had to forgive the Nazis for, right. uh, you know, interning her family and she saw her, her sister die and, her family and all that stuff. And yeah, those stories, I don't know if I have the moral strength to do that, but it's possible because we see examples like that. We see Jesus forgiving from the cross, those who killed him. We see these great examples of people who undergo horrible trauma and suffering and forgive those who are torturing or, you know, inflicting pain on them. And yeah, I think I think those are encouraging and inspiring. But Lewis is like, you are not expected to do that from the get go. That that forgiggiveness muscle has, has to be worked up, up to. to. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, he he continues to talk about how we have to have an eternal perspective on mm. people. Right. Um, he talks about what would it have been during he's talking about his World War One experience uh, if he and some young German had killed each other simultaneously and found themselves a moment after death. And he says, I can't imagine that either of us would have felt any resentment or even any embarrassment. I think we might have laughed over it. Hmm. I'm a little confused about that comment. I'm like, what are you trying to make with that? Like, yeah, I don't know. I, 
Like he, what he brings that into this. Remember, we Christians think man lives forever. Yeah. Therefore, what really matters is those little marks or twists on the central inside part of the soul, which are going to turn it in the long run into a heavenly or hellish creature. Yeah. And he, we talked about this in the in the last few chapters where mm-hmm. Lewis is very big on this, where he talks about how the decisions we make are actually transforming us right. into a type of person. Exactly. And that type of person will exist forever. Mm-hmm. So we're either going to be a type of person that's more and more rebellious against God, more and more self-absorbed, right. or we're going to be a person more and more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And those that spectrum is a pathway towards destruction or towards life and joy. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, he's very practical. The little marks or twists in the soul over time it's like a rudder on a ship. Hmm. It's a little thing, but it directs the whole thing yeah. over the course of a, of, of a trip. Yeah. And then he has this, uh, and this is a little bit earlier on, but he talks about uh, when Jesus says, forgive us our sins. Um, and those who, if, if we don't forgive our sins, then our Heavenly Father won't forgive us. That's earlier. Uh, I think it's before the our Father. Um, but what uh, what do we do with that, Brian? Well, sometimes... It seems like conditional, seems like work salvation. It, it does. On, on the... On the f- you know, at face value, it seems like a conditional statement of like, if you want to be forgiven for your sins, the first thing you need to do is you need to forgive other people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's what it means. That would be works righteousness. Yeah. And what would that mean? How, how Could you forgive every single person you've ever sinned against? I mean, could right. you even do that in your lifetime? So it seems more to be, instead of a temporal sequence, like, you know, do this, then this person can do this for you. It's more that these are, this is an attitude you need to have. If you have been forgiven... One of the marks of a person who grasps that reality is you're going to be somebody who forgives. Yeah. How, how could a forgiven person not forgive other people? Mm-hmm. So it's not like God has a scoreboard and is checking all the times you refuse to forgive. But it is saying that if you really, it's sort of like saying, um, I think Francis Chan used this example once about just being a Christian in general. If you walk into a room and say you've been hit by a bus and you're perfectly fine, <laughs> right? There's no scratches. People would have legitimate reason to question whether you had in fact been hit by a bus. Yeah. And I think forgiveness works the same way. If you are, if your life is marked by unforgiveness, not saying that easy forgiveness or that it won't be a struggle, but if your life is marked by a lack of forgiveness, uh, it's sort of like, well, you don't look like you've been hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah, You don't, you don't look like you've Mm -hmm. been forgiven if you really grasped that. And, and Jesus you know, uses that sort of parable with, you yeah. know, the guy who's forgiven many times but doesn't mm-hmm. forgive the person that owes him a debt. Yeah. So, again, it's more of an attitude than it is sort of this tit-for-tat, you know, the, uh, legalistic type of system. Yeah. But, no, I mean, notice that it, that is still a pretty strong claim. The claim that Jesus makes both in Matthew 6 and the parable uh, seem to imply that it is a requirement that we forgive. Right. So it's not an option. It's not like, uh, you know, you're going above and beyond the call of duty, that you're such a moral exemplar, you're a moral right. hero. Um, it is a requirement and duty of the Christian life that you live in this posture of, for, like, forgiven, forgiving because you realize that you yourself are forgiven. And so that's what the Matthew parable is. The, the guy who's been forgiven billions and then refuses to give his fellow, forgive his fellow servant for the small debt, he fails to appreciate the, the forgiveness that he himself has been the benefactor of. And so there's a kind of hypocrisy and, and double standard that he's living his life by where he's willing to receive grace, but he's not willing to give out small doses of it when he himself was such a, a massive benefactor. And, and that's the, pr- the proportion is important. Again, yeah, absolutely. You know, 
we we could never forgive mm. somebody else the amount even close to the mm-hmm. way that God has forgiven us. Yeah. So you can never really outrun that right. if you think about it. Yeah. But that that's something again. Lewis, when he talks about forgiveness, and and how you practically do that, and I love how practical he gets. He basically admits, like we were saying, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Right. If you think about, okay, forgive like God forgave me. I don't really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, I do not mean that anyone can decide this moment that he will never feel it anymore, meaning the temptation to be unforgiving. Mm-hmm. That is not how things happen. I mean that every time that it bobs its head up, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, we must hit it on the head. Yeah. Hit it on the head. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's Paul. Yeah. That's the book of Romans. That's mm-hmm. that's. You know, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Sanctification. Yeah, yeah, it's a continual decision. Right. Um, And that's what it means ultimately, and this is where he ties it together. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it mean to love your enemy? It means to wish his good. Yeah. It's not feeling fond of him. It's not saying he's nice when he's not. It's actually wishing his good. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can acknowledge this person's terrible. You can acknowledge this was a real hurt that they did. You can acknowledge that you're not fond of them at all, yeah. and you're never going to trust them again. But what forgiveness and love means is you remove the debt, and now you wish his good. Yeah. You want what's best for that mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And it's practical. <laughs> that's you're right. And, yeah. and so remembering that, and then but then you think that's how God loves us, mm. right? He he wishes our good. He only wants our good. And so the things that he commands us, the things that he tells us in his word are from his heart of goodness. Yeah. Right? They're not going to lead us astray. And, and he, uh, he even talks powerful. a little bit there about um, how how punishment and even hell itself is a kind of willing the good of the person who has sinned because it restrains the amount of evil that they can do. Right. So, so loving someone doesn't mean, you know, they don't go to jail for horrible things that they've done. Right. Because that itself is good for them. Right. Because it restrains their ability to do more evil. Right. And it can offer a chance for rehab or repentance or things like that. Um, and similarly, the the doctrine of hell classically understood is also the for the good of those individuals that their their ability to sin and, and, and grow in rebellion against God has been curbed in some way. Because remember how Lewis views it. Yeah. The more you sin, the more corrupt you become. Yep, so exactly. if you go to jail, it's it's putting a damper on your exactly. sin. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually restraining corruption yeah. on you. Uh, so there is even it's good cool in, in that. It's cool how it all fits together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he moves on from forgiveness. and he, you know, So he talks about forgiveness. It's a, it's a requirement of the Christian life. Uh, it's evidence that you are somebody who understands what how you've been forgiven. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that people are nice when they're not. It's right. not saying, you know, what you did wasn't bad. But mm-hmm. it is, it is removing the debt and choosing uh, and wishing the best for the other person right, who, right. who's wronged you. Mm-hmm. Now he moves on to another sin, <clears throat> the sin of pride or self conceit. Calls it the great sin. He calls it the great sin. Why does he call it the great sin, Paul? Calls it the great sin because, and if you guys listen to our first ever podcast series on uh, vice, we talked about pride as the capital vice. It, it's the like the 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 root of all of the other vices. It's it's the place from which all the other sins come from. People talk about it as it's it's the sin of uh, Lucifer. It's the sin of like wanting to become like God. It's it's that utter 
self-absorbedness, self-centeredness. And from that comes everything else. From that comes lust to, to, to gratify myself. From that comes vain glory to seek attention for myself. From that comes uh, greed that I get more, more money and possessions to, to inflate myself and my standing. And so pride has this sort of like, it's the root of all sins, but it also is this, it, it has a total lack of care for other people. Where like the prideful person when if they're truly 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 prideful doesn't even care what other people think about them because they're like I don't care like what other people think about me who cares they're they're, they're just lesser. you know I look down on them exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so right. so I'm just so wrapped up and caught up in my in myself the way I think about myself I'm I'm so highly um, regarded in my own esteem I'm wholly other um, you, you do think of yourself as God, right? So Lewis says like very few people have actually gotten completely to that point. Most of us are still, we, he talks about how like unchastity, lust, vainglory, vanity, these are like baby sins. Or he talks about them like, like fleas. Like these are the things that we deal with on like the everyday basis, the conceit, things like that. Very few of us have become totally engrossed by pride, where we don't care about what anybody else thinks about us. We, I mean, we do care about what other people think about us. We dress a certain way, we look a certain way, we talk a certain way because a we healthy, want that information. There's a healthy version of that. I mean, you don't want yeah. to, I mean, a, a psychopath doesn't care what right, people think right. about so them. Right, that, that's, that's pride that, that Lewis is talking about there is the great sin. And, and we, we were talking about this before. He, he like, yeah, his, his use of the word pride is, you know, I, I don't know if I would call all of that pride. Um, he tends to use it in a few different ways here, but um, yeah, there, there's still some interesting insights there about, again, so he says that the the sins that we deal with on a day-to-day basis are symptoms, and that's a really helpful way to think about the, the, the nature of vice, that lust is a symptom of something else, vanity is a symptom of something else, and at the bottom, they all have at their core this kind of radical self-centeredness and this refusal to care about other people and, and to think about God and things like that. Well, he talks about the competitive competitiveness mm. of pride as yeah. well, mm-hmm. right? He says, uh, uh, the more pride one had, the more one disliked pride in others. Yeah. I think it's so true, right? Oh, man. Uh, he says, the point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed at someone else being the big noise, right? Mm. And here's the, here's the great classic C.S. Lewis quote. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Yeah. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's yeah. social media. I mean, it's yeah. everything. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, pride is is also on a, on a, on a scale. Like I, we would never, you would never compare yourself to LeBron James. You're like, no, no, I, I admit that he's, yeah. you know, a better basketball player than me. But for people who are sort of near you, mm-hmm. those are the ones where you're just like, well, no, I'm better than them. Yeah, because it's attainable. It's attainable. It's feasible, yeah. Yeah. So there is that competitiveness and it's sort of localized mm-hmm. among your peer groups and the people in your community. Mm. Um, but that is a very, a very precise sort of uh, explanation, I think, of, of how pride actually manifests itself in our lives. We're yeah. not going to walk around being like, I'm the greatest person in the world. Nobody, you know, <laughs> I think would be pretty out of your mind to think that. But you just want to be better yeah. than the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it even manifests in a religious context as well. So Lewis says, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all that, that we are better than someone else, 
in, we may be sure that we are being acted upon not by God, but by the devil. And so here's, here's the test. He says, the real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. <laughs> but it's better to forget about yourself altogether. So here there's a kind of like, even in, in church, even in your assessment of your own Christian life and you know, you're in community with other people, if you constantly find in yourself this, like, oh man, look at how better I am than so-and-so. Look at how my, my, my devotional, my tithing, my whatever... If, if that's constantly coming up in your mind, that is, it's a worrying sign and it's, it's something that you need to nip in the bud. So when, when the spotlight of your mind is, is on yourself and how much better than you are, um, even if it's true, right? It, it's not about like, pride isn't uh, about making the claim that I am better than somebody else. But it's about being obsessed with being better, right? Right. It's about that drive to become better even for you, the sake of being better. If you feel inferior, there's a there's a pride of like, well, I should be better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love what he says. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of right. course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Mm-hmm. Man, stitch that on a pillow. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> Instagram that one. Well, you make a good point about the the, uh, and he actually he talks about this. About religious pride, and, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. saying mm-hmm. like, "Well, I'm, I'm you know, I, you're always thinking about yourself. You want to outdo right. people in like religiousness." Mm-hmm. And I think that is very true. Where um, I think sometimes on social media, or we, we try to outdo each other in our brokenness. Oh man! Like you know, I got go. all these issues. You've got these yep. issues. I, I've got more issues than you, or <laughs> or I'm more sensitive than you. I'm more empathetic than you. I'm more. Or sometimes it's like, yeah. well, I'm more offensive than you. I'm more yeah. contrarian than you. I'm yeah. more hardline. Like I'm a, I'm not afraid to say this stuff. You yeah. know. And the funny thing is, it's like if you really are the person who's that defender of the truth or whatever, if you're really not afraid to say what you mean, well then say it to people who disagree with you. Right. Don't just say it to your own yeah. little crowd, right? Your echo chamber. Yeah. Don't say it to your echo chamber. <laughs> you, you know, you're not brave if everybody else is like, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, so, I, but it, again, it, that, that feeds into <clears throat> the pride where sure, yeah. you go online and I, I feel like people are just, I'm about to go on a rant here. You I know, know I, mean? I, I feel like you're getting worked up. I'm, it's just like people... Here's the Christian lifestyle, you know, the cute little family, all this stuff. It's like have a cute family, but don't market them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, you know, the, all the self help gurus. Yeah, help yourself, but like, there's something weird about making that your brand. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of it is rooted in that vanity, that pride. You want to be seen as this kind of a person, and certainly we all are trying to be seen as. We, you know, you want to be seen as a Christ like person. You want to be mm-hmm. seen as respectable. <clears throat> These are all good things, but. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's a little bit of a religious vanity where people are trying to posture. They're trying to show themselves, I'm this kind of a Christian, Mm -hmm. or I'm not like those Christians. And that's just a form of pride. Yeah. Right? Why not just be a Christian? Just just live your life, you know? And uh, I think social media, it it widens the pond, so to speak, of people we can compare ourselves to. It widens the pool. Widens the pool, (laughs) right. Oh, that someone has pooped in that we need to now drain. That's right. (laughs) And there we go. Back to Lewis, though, for a second. Um, Back to Lewis. (laughs) When you were talking about the the religious comparisons, it made me think of Jesus's example of the two people praying. There's the, the religious person who prays in the temple, oh God, thank you for making me not like that sinner, that tax collector next right. to me. And the, the tax collector sinner prays, God have mercy on me. And the point that Jesus is making there is that 
The sin that God hears and is pleased in is the one that's the recognition of sin, not the one that's the comparing. Even if it's true that, you know, the, the, the religious person might check off all of the other boxes, the fact that he's taking, like, he's glorying in the fact that he's not like this other person, that is just the sinister aspect, right? Even if it's true that you're not committing lust, that you're not as greedy, the fact that you are reveling in the fact that you're better than the sinner, that itself is like, it's disgusting. It's, it's the one, right. even Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. Right. And you're not better than Paul, right? So there's a kind of like healthy, even if I'm not doing these sorts of sins, recognizing that I'm, I'm still like a really bad person and I'm still in deeply need of grace even to get to this point. Well, the, the point of that parable that Jesus talks about is that the, uh, the tax collector, the sinner is the one who goes unjustified. Mm. Right. He's the one who's actually righteous before God. Yeah. And <clears throat> what's so it's, it's, what's terrifying in a sense is the Pharisee is showing his unbelief in a prayer to yeah. God. <laughs> right? I mean, it just yep. shows how we can easily masquerade our vanity and our pride underneath this veneer of religiosity. You know, you can you can seem so spiritual. I mean, you're so spiritual, right? <laughs> Veneer of religiosity sounds like a Christian rock band. There you go. <laughs> Veneeriosity. Eh, it sounds kind of like a disease. Anyway, so, uh, but <laughs> I like I like how Lewis's category here where he says, uh, oftentimes when people look down on others, uh, they don't care what they think. Not because they have this strong sense of self right. or any of this confidence. They just think everybody's beneath them, which is terrible, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, oftentimes he says that he has this category of, uh, I'm that kind of chap, which is kind of like I was talking about earlier, where where we we like to think of ourselves as, oh, we buck the trend. Mm -hmm. We're we're the ones who aren't suckers. We're the ones who see through everything. We're Mm -hmm. the, you know, and there's a pride that comes with cynicism. Sure. Like, oh, look at those fools believing in these things. And and uh, it's actually a, it's a vantage point of looking down on people mm. because in being a cynic, you're kind of like saying <clears throat> you're the one who's enlightened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know I struggle with that being cynical myself, um, but it is you just love that air of distinction. You're that you're you're this kind of person. Yeah. You know, you're not like them. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, he says, uh, <clears throat> if the mob like it, let them. They're nothing to me. <laughs> right. It's just this sort of. I almost wonder if, if if a contrarian spirit is born out of that pride. You just like to go against the the, the public opinion because, you know. Yeah, it could be. <clears throat> it, makes, it makes you feel like you're the one who sees through the ruse. I mean, know? the silver lining there, according to Lewis, is that if you care, if you really care what people think about you, then there's still hope for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you're not so far gone that right. you're like you might actually you're not a psychopath. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a way back, but um, but as far as like <clears throat> so this is really pessimistic. All of this pride stuff. What's what's the antidote? Well, Lewis says the antidote is humility, and humility doesn't look boring. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's that's it's true, but it's yeah. it's good. <clears throat> humility doesn't look like what people often. There's a stereotype of humility, and I love this is. There's that Lewis quote that everybody misquotes where they're like, humility is not thinking of yourself less, it's thinking less of yourself, which is true and beautiful, but Lewis didn't actually say that. What? Yeah, I know. Wait, who said that? No one. 
Like that's not actually in Lewis. Well, he, there's, it's like a, but he has a variation of so it. So I'm yeah, going to read okay, the variation, okay, which okay. is at the end of the, <clears throat> so the, it comes from this. Lewis says, don't imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of someone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He won't be thinking about humility. In fact, he won't be thinking about himself at all. So Beautiful humility stuff. there is, you're just, you're, you're not obsessed with yourself. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not telling everyone, oh, I'm a nobody. Look how terrible I yeah, am. Yeah, that's the best. I love that. That's a kind of narcissism. You're just so you're focused on You're still just focused yourself. on yourself, yeah. yeah, and how terrible you are. And So the humble person is just like, he's a normal, like he took a real interest in what you said to him. You felt a little envious of him because he just seemed to enjoy life and he just wasn't thinking about himself at all. He wasn't thinking about humility. He was just thinking about- He was focused on the other person. Yeah. Right. And and you could even talk about being, you know, loving your neighbors yourself. Well, you want to give them the attention you would yeah. want to give yourself, mm-hmm. right? You'd want to make them feel like you 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 you're not yeah. even that's the thing you don't want to make them feel like you're listening you, you want actually listen. want to listen <laughs> yeah. to them right sometimes people you, do that you know it's like i'm making you feel like and then you're still focusing on yourself I you're definitely focusing on how that. you're doing that i definitely do that what all the time to you brian <sighs> i know i knew it well, i'm here to humble you yeah well yeah and uh, okay so how do you acquire humility well he says step 1 realize that you're proud yeah right <laughs> And a biggish step too, right? He said that's that's really the biggest step to mm-hmm. take to to come to that knowledge, right? And nothing can happen until you admit that you have a problem, right? And then he says, if you think actually there's no step two, it looks like that's the only step. <laughs> if you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Right? Man, he says it like it is. I know. What was it like to be C.S. Lewis's friend? <clears> oh man. Just I wish pieces. he's like the one person. When people are like, who is the one historical person you'd want to have over for dinner? Definitely C.S. Lewis. That's right. That's right. One day. One day. One day. Well, thank you guys for listening to this. Leave a review. Share this with your friends. We'd love to get more viewers in to dive into the riches of C.S. Lewis. Make sure you dive buy into the mir- pool. Dive into a pool. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Sorry. Disregard that. Yeah. But uh, we're grateful for you guys listening, and we're going to be back next week with some more content for you. Stay tuned.